Welcome to Buddhism Guide's audio blog, a contemporary look at Gautama Buddha's teachings from Kami Yeshi Rabge. Find out more at www.buddhismguide.org. This episode, Gautama Buddha's Fourth Truth. What is your view? In the fourth of Gautama Buddha's truths, he explains the path we need to take to free ourselves from suffering. It is known as the Eightfold Path and it comprises of three aspects. Seeing clearly is the first aspect and includes right view and right intention. The second aspect is living responsibly and this includes right speech, right action and right livelihood. The third and final aspect is staying focused and this includes right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. Over the next few postings I will cover all of the Eightfold Path but for today let's talk about right view. Setting off on the Eightfold Path without the right view is like starting a journey without a map. If you get into your car without knowing where you're going and what landmarks you will encounter along the way, you are bound to get lost. Similarly, if you set off on this path and have no idea what you're doing, you will also become lost and disillusioned. First, get the view correct and the rest of the path will become clearer. You'll be able to dispel any confusion or misunderstandings and have a better understanding of reality. We need to understand the Four Noble Truths and the workings of cause and effect. This is the right view. When we understand the Four Noble Truths, we will also understand that the causes of our suffering lie within our own minds. We will then realise that Nirvana, the escape from suffering, also lies within our minds. Once we know this, we will want to look for the causes of this suffering, which are the three poisons, attachment, anger and unawareness. Finally, having understood that life is suffering, we will be ready to set off along the Eightfold Path. We should also ensure we have an understanding of cause and effect. Here, Some would say we actually need to understand the workings of karma, but this is such a hot potato these days. If you believe in karma and rebirth, and it motivates you to be a good person, then follow that view. However, if you are not a lover of rebirth, and prefer to keep your Buddhism firmly planted in this life, then you should understand the workings of cause and effect. Whatever we do, there will be a result. If we kill someone, we will be punished. If we lie and cheat, people will dislike us. If we are unwilling to help people, then they will not want to help us when we need it. If we are a kind, caring and compassionate person, people will be drawn to us. If we are generous, we will get back far more than we give. Here, I'm not talking in monetary terms, but in the wonderful satisfaction of helping others. Life is like an echo. 
Whatever you put out comes back. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Whatever you give, you will get. Whatever you do will always come back to you. This is not some metaphysical dogma, just plain common sense. It is the way life is. So by understanding cause and effect, we will be driven to act in a kind and compassionate way. If you understand it and still decide to act in an unhelpful way, you will only have yourself to blame when things don't go right for you. Once you have the right view concerning suffering and cause and effect, you'll be ready to move along the path. Next time, I'll talk about right intention. This episode, the spark that fires us into action. The second part of the Eightfold Path is right intention. Here, I'm talking about our motivation, the spark that fires us into action. Right intention is divided into three parts. Letting go, goodwill and harmlessness. So let's look at these one by one. Letting go. What we are letting go of is attachment to or craving for objects of desire. How much we let go is a personal thing. But the more we loosen our grip on objects of desire, the less we suffer. Because Gautama Buddha stated that clinging to desire is one of the causes of our suffering. Until we are able to let go of this craving, we will never reach a place where there is no more suffering. Letting go of our clinging desires may sound easy, but when we try to release our grip on cherished objects, a strong feeling inside tries to stop us from succeeding. This is because, since time immemorial, we have been attached to our friends, family and belongings. Thus, it is never easy to suddenly let go. However, it may not be easy, but it certainly isn't impossible. Gautama Buddha taught us that letting go isn't about giving up all material things, but secretly still cherishing them. What he said is that by understanding the nature of desire, we manage to let go of our cravings. We must investigate our desires and understand their true nature, which is impermanence and suffering. If we contemplate impermanence, we will see that nothing lasts forever. So what is the point of getting ourselves worked up over something that isn't exactly what we think it is and isn't going to last? We will never be able to find permanent happiness from impermanent things. So contemplating impermanence is one of the best ways of letting go of our clinging to objects of desire. It takes time to change our perceptions and it isn't going to be easy. But if we don't start, we will never finish. A wise person is able to let go. 
To let go is actually to receive, to receive boundless happiness. Goodwill. This is the opposite of ill will and is a mental state. When we have goodwill towards others, we wish them well and do not want any harm to befall them. However, it is too easy for us to start wishing ill will on others. Let's look at some examples. If you've just separated from your partner and it all ended a bit messy, you might wish that your partner comes to some harm. This is ill will. And such thinking is only going to bring harm upon yourself. First, we think, and then we act. So if our thoughts are negative, it follows that our actions are also going to be negative. Another example would be, if you're in line for promotion at work, and the only thing in your way is your colleague. Out of jealousy and pride, you wish that some harm befalls your colleague, so you get the promotion. This is ill will, and based on your own selfish needs. It does not show any regard for the other's thoughts and feelings. We want happiness in our lives, but we must understand that every other person also wants happiness. How then do we liberate ourselves from ill will? The thought that other people also seek happiness causes goodwill to rise within us and makes us wish that they be happy, peaceful and well. In other words, caring for others' feelings and showing them genuine warmth clears away ill will. I'm not talking about sympathy or pity, but real empathy. Putting ourselves in other people's shoes and truly understanding that they wish to be treated kindly and with warmth. One of the best methods of building goodwill is to do the Metabhavna meditation. Harmlessness. This is the intention to not harm anyone, either physically, mentally or verbally. We have to realise that we are not the only ones suffering. Everyone wishes to be free of suffering, but is still gripped by pain, despair, anguish, dissatisfaction and other kinds of suffering. We must understand that we play our parts in other people's suffering by not having compassion for them, not caring for their well-being and not seeing that, like us, they want to be free of all kinds of suffering. So how do we begin to feel compassion towards everyone? We have to contemplate on people's suffering. But don't just pick people you know and like. Also contemplate on people you dislike and don't know. Think of how people are suffering and radiate compassion towards them. This of course will not stop their suffering. But it will make you a more compassionate and helpful person. We have to ensure that whatever we think, say or do does not harm anyone. This is the intention of harmlessness.
This episode, The Power of Speech. Speech is a very powerful tool. If we hit someone, it will hurt them for a short time and then go away. But if we verbally attack someone, those words can stay with them for many years. On the other hand, well thought out words can stop conflict, make friends and heal rifts. This is the power of speech. And this is why Gautama Buddha included right speech in the Eightfold Path. Right speech can be divided into four parts, namely, refrain from lying, refrain from diversive speech, refrain from harsh words, and refrain from gossiping. When we tell lies, it is obviously going to hurt and mislead others, but it will also harm ourselves. Nobody likes a liar, and once you get the reputation, it is difficult to lose it. Whenever you tell people things, they will not believe you, even if it's true. They will try to avoid you, and you will find it difficult to make friends. This will, of course, make you angry and frustrated, but you will only have yourself to blame. There is a bigger picture here, too as lying can affect the whole of society, especially if the lie comes from a person of responsibility and trust. I am thinking here of politicians. There are not many people in the world these days that fully trust their politicians. You hear people say that they only voted for this particular politician because he is the best of a bad bunch. The reason for this is because they have told so many lies over the years that nobody trusts them. We must remember that we do not like to be lied to, so don't lie to others. This will free your mind of any guilt and leave it more peaceful. Divisive speech refers to speech that is intended to create a rift or division between people. It is used to alienate one person or a group from another. People generally do such things when driven by hatred of a person, or to win affection for themselves, or if they are jealous of someone else's success, or even out of some perverse pleasure of seeing someone fall from grace. You can see this type of uh, divisive speech in all walks of life, but it is more prominent within groups and in the workplace. What is the antidote to divisive speech? It is speech that promotes friendship and harmony, speech based on kindness and compassion, which wins the trust and affection of others. Harsh words are usually born out of anger and cause harm and pain to the hearer. Swear words... Bitter words spoken in anger, words used for scolding someone, or words that belittle the hearer or someone close to them, are all examples of harsh words. They are designed to take away a person's dignity. Harsh words may make you feel good temporarily, but the receiver will feel downhearted. These words are usually spoken in the spur of the moment and so are not as severe as words which are premeditated. There are several antidotes to harsh words. 
but the most important one is patience. If we are patient and respect other people's shortcomings and do not react to others' criticism, if we bear abuse without the urge to retaliate or respect others' viewpoints, we will not feel the need to let loose a barrage of abusive words. Gossiping is shallow and pointless. It is a form of communication that adds absolutely no value to anyone's lives. It stems from the three poisons, desire, anger and unawareness. All it does is stir up everyone's emotions and lead to negative feelings between all parties. To counter this, which is not easy, you should watch what you say, when you say it and to whom. You should think before you speak. I believe to ensure we have right speech, we should ask ourselves the following questions. Is what I'm going to say useful? Is it going to hurt someone? Is my speech motivated by desire, anger or unawareness? Would I like other people to say the same things to me? If we check our speech before we open our mouths, we will never speak words that do harm. Sometimes it is more powerful to say nothing at all. Before I finish, I just want to say something about the written word. In Gautama Buddha's day, this was not a problem, so he didn't mention the right written word. But today, it is becoming a problem. The written words I'm talking about are newspapers, magazines, the internet and social networking sites such as Twitter and Facebook. Obviously, freedom of speech is a human right. But if your written words are going to harm others or stir up trouble, they should not be written. If you are going to write something down, you should check your motivation. Is it going to be productive and helpful? Or is it going to harm or waste the reader's time? Episode 9 Right Action The next part of the Eightfold Path is Right Action. This is talking about actions of the body. Right Action is divided into three parts. Refrain from taking life, refrain from stealing and refrain from sexual misconduct. Refraining from taking life or causing others to take life is not just talking about humans, but all beings. It is no good us refraining from taking life ourselves if we are going to encourage others to take life. Gautama Buddha taught that all life is precious, and so it should not be ended by others. It should be noted here that I am talking about intentionally taking life. It is of course a fact that we unintentionally take life every time we walk around. If we walk across a field to meet a friend, we take the lives of many insects. 
However, this was not our intention. We just wanted to meet our friend. If we are present in the moment and conscious of every step, we can, however, reduce the lives we take and the harm we cause. We may feel that taking the lives of flies or mosquitoes do not count. But of course they do. Every being is interconnected. And so by killing something, we are somehow tipping the balance of nature. So to live in harmony with the world, we must refrain from killing. Refraining from stealing. When we take something that has not been given, we are hurting ourselves as well as others. Obviously, people will be upset and hurt if you steal from them. But you will also get yourself a bad reputation. People will not trust you or want you as a friend, which is going to make you suffer. Gautama Buddha was not just talking about stealing here, but also fraud, deceit and cheating people out of money. All of these acts are carried out due to greed, jealousy, pride and sometimes even hatred. The way to counter this is by having respect for other people's belongings, being honest, generous and above all, contented with what we have. If we are honest, we would never steal or defraud people. If we act out of generosity, we would never want anybody else's possessions. In fact, we would want to share our own belongings and wealth. If we are content, and this really is the heart of the matter, we would see no need to take what does not belong to us, or cheat another person in any way, because we would already have enough to keep us satisfied. Refraining from sexual misconduct Inappropriate sexual conduct is when we cause harm to someone with the sexual act. This includes rape, forcing your partner to have sex when they do not want to, and having sex with an underage child. All of these will bring harm to people, and so we must refrain from such hurtful acts. If we do not kill, do not steal, and do not use sex in an inappropriate way, we will not be causing harm to anybody with our bodies, and we will be following Gautama Buddha's right action. However, we have to ensure that all our actions, not just our bodily actions, do not bring harm to ourselves or others. One way of doing this is by refraining from the ten unwholesome ways to act. They are as follows. Refrain from taking the life of any being. Refrain from taking what is not freely given. Refrain from inappropriate sexual conduct. Refrain from lying. Refrain from diversive speech. Refrain from using harsh words. Refrain from idle talk. Refrain from coveting others' possessions. Refrain from resenting the good fortune of others. Refrain from holding a closed mind about things one doesn't fully understand.
If we refrain from these ten unwholesome acts, we will not be harming others with our body, speech or mind. Episode 10 Right Livelihood A right livelihood is one that does not bring harm to anyone or anything. Gautama Buddha listed five professions that constitute a wrong livelihood. They are dealing in weapons, dealing in humans, dealing in meat production, dealing in intoxicants and dealing in poisons. Traditionally, these professions are dismissed out of hand, but I feel a little uncomfortable with that. I have Indian friends that have joined the army so they can provide for their parents and siblings. They didn't go into the army with the sole intention of killing people, although that may be a consequence of their action. Also, if a country didn't have any army, how long would it be before another country took it over? These days, the army also does peacekeeping missions, and so, in that way, is helping society. It is clear that it isn't as black and white as Gautama Buddha's list suggests. I think one should aim for a profession that does not harm, is not deceitful or dishonest, doesn't involve trickery, treachery or any kind of fortune telling. Gautama Buddha went into a lot of detail regarding this last one, fortune telling. In the Sutra, The Fruit of the Contemplative Life, Buddha stated this, Whereas some priests and contemplatives, living off food given in faith, maintain themselves by wrong livelihood, by such lowly arts as reading marks on the limbs, reading omens and signs, interpreting dreams, making predictions based on fingertips, laying demons in the cemetery, placing spells on spirits, reciting house protection charms, giving protective charms, interpreting the calls of birds and animals. The list goes on and on, but I think you get the point. Any type of fortune-telling or predicting the future is a form of deceit and trickery, even if it is done by some religious person. All you're doing is peddling false hope. It is never right to deal in humans, such as prostitution, people trafficking, forcing children into work or teaching them to fire a weapon. Nor is it right to make illegal drugs and poisons. All of these professions are bringing harm to people and so should be avoided. The bottom line is that our livelihood must not bring harm to people, animals or the environment. If we stick to this, we will be on the road to living a responsible life.
Episode 11, Mindfulness, The Bottom Line People are talking a lot about mindfulness these days, but what is it that we have to be mindful of? The answer is, everything. We have to be mindful of our actions and the impact they have on ourselves and others. These actions will shape our lives now and in the future, so it's very important to be constantly mindful. We have to be aware of our speech, of what we are saying. We have to be mindful of our body actions and be aware of their impact. We have to be mindful of our thoughts, feelings and emotions. We also have to be mindful of the work we do and its impact on society. And of course, we have to be mindful of the effort we are putting in, ensuring all our actions of body, speech and mind are all in line with living responsibly. Mindfulness is not a process of doing something. Rather, it's a matter of doing nothing. Not judging, not manipulating, not planning, not wishing, not imagining. All of these are just interferences, things the mind does to take control. But mindfulness is just watching and letting go. In this process, there is no need to cling at anything, so the mind stays anchored in the present and does not float back to the past with all its memories or to the future with its hopes and fears. Gautama Buddha stated in various sutras that there are four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of mind, and mindfulness of mental states. So let's have a look at these four individually. Mindfulness of body. This means being aware of your body and all the actions carried out by it. There are many different ways of contemplating the body, but a simple and effective one is doing the full body scan. Sit on a cushion with your legs crossed and back straight. Or if this is not possible, Sit on an armless chair, ensuring your back is straight, but not too rigid. Start by concentrating on your toes. Are they relaxed or tense? If they're tense, just relax them and release the tension. Now move to your feet and do the same. Slowly move up your body, watching where the tension is and releasing it. In today's world, we always seem to be running from pillar to post. So this meditation will help you get back in tune with your body. I'm sure you'll be surprised at how much tension you're actually carrying around in your body. On a day-to-day -day basis, this means that whatever you do with your body affects you and everyone around you. When you live responsibly, you have to be mindful of the unhelpful acts you do with your body, such as stealing, sexual misconduct and killing. Each evening do a review and look back on the day and see what actions you have carried out with your body. The ones that are conducive to responsible living should be noted. This will ensure that with enough repetition, they soon become spontaneous the ones that are not conducive to living responsibly should also be noted 
and a clear effort should be made to not do them again. This can be done by rehearsing a better way to have acted. So in the future, you will naturally act in a different, more helpful way. It is through staying mindful of your bodily actions that you will be able to live a more responsible life. Mindfulness of feelings. There are three types of feelings, pleasant, unpleasant and neutral. One of these three are present during every moment of our experience. They may be strong or weak, clear or cloudy, but they are always present. If we're not mindful and leave our feelings unchecked, pleasant feelings can lead to clinging desire, painful feelings to hatred, and neutral feelings to ignorance and a lack of compassion. A good time to check your feelings is in the evening when you look back on your day. Think of an incident that happened that day. Check to see what feelings it invoked in you. Did it bring up pleasant, unpleasant or neutral feelings? Don't try and control the feelings. Just be mindful of them and then let them go. Mindfulness of mind is looking at the mind as though you're looking in a mirror. Ask yourself, how is my mind at the moment? Is it full of desire, full of anger, full of ignorance? Is it present in the moment or distracted? We should look at our mind in this way and just see it as it is, not pass any judgment or think of it as my mind. We have to turn the mind upon itself and see if it's associated with any of the ten unwholesome states. If it is, do not cling to that. Simply note it and let it pass. Our minds, if left unchecked, can lead us into all kinds of situations. This is why Gautama Buddha stated that we should observe our minds but not engage with what we see. Just let it go. We rarely stop and spend time on observing our minds. We just let thoughts, hopes, fears and dreams come and go unchecked. During your evening review, observe your mind and see what state it's in. Is it tired, lazy, angry, happy or disturbed? Note that state, but don't try to change it. In a guide to the Bodhisattva way of life, Shantideva says, Whenever I have the desire to move my body or to say something, first of all, I should examine my mind and then, with steadiness, act in a proper way. Mindfulness of mental states When we begin to be mindful of mental states, we start to see obstacles arise in the form of the five hindrances. These hindrances are mental states that can lead us astray, take us away from responsible living. These hindrances are being gripped by desire, feelings of ill will, lack of interest, restlessness and doubt. It would be safe to say that we've all had days when we feel lazy or anxious and unable to stay focused. There are other days where we are so consumed by our desires, we can't even think of anything else. 
Maybe someone upset us the previous day, and due to our thoughts of ill will, we're unable to stay focused. Of course, there is also doubt. If we carry around this strong feeling of uncertainty or disbelief, it is very difficult for us to concentrate. During your evening review, look at what hindrances have distracted you recently. There is a lot of ground to cover here, so maybe it's best for you to concentrate one week on the mind, another week on mental states, a week on body, and finally a week on feelings. If you do this review, you'll be able to see the hindrances that occur on a regular basis. It is the antidotes to these hindrances you have to concentrate on and be mindful of. Apply whatever antidotes are required to remove your frequent hindrances. This brings us to the end of right mindfulness. If we are going to be mindful and live a responsible life, we have to be fully aware of, but not tangled up in, our bodies, feelings, minds and mental states. By being mindful, we'll be able to take full responsibility for all our actions. This will ensure that our minds become more calm and we travel through life in the present moment, not being tossed backwards and forwards from the past to the future. Being mindful means being conscious of every thought, feeling, emotion, physical sensation and action. So, the bottom line is... Become aware of the present moment, but not engaged with it. Episode 13 Something to meditate on. In Gautama Buddha's Eightfold Path, what is traditionally talked about in right meditation is being able to concentrate single-mindedly on the object of your meditation. However, I feel that before we can get to this point, we need to learn about single-minded concentration on our actions of body, speech and mind. In other words, our daily actions. How do we do this? Well, we need to study Gautama Buddha's teachings, understand them, meditate on them. If we meditate, we make the teachings a part of our lives. We're able to bring them into every aspect of our lives. It also allows us to move beyond mere intellectual understanding to make the teachings our own. When we read books or hear teachings, we understand them on an intellectual level. This is knowledge. But we have to turn that knowledge into wisdom. The way to do that is to meditate. Padmasambhava told one of his disciples in an oral teaching... It is of no benefit to know about the Dharma. You must take it to heart and put it into practice. 
The way to live a responsible life is to meditate on the Eightfold Path. Make it a part of your life and then check your progress every day at a daily review session. The first part of the Eightfold Path is Right View. So while meditating on Right View, you have to really understand the workings of cause and effect. You have to realise that whatever intentional actions you do, be it with your body, speech or mind, they will create a reaction in the future. You need to meditate on this point so that it becomes more than just an intellectual information. You have to be naturally aware of it whenever you perform any intentional action. You also have to meditate on impermanence of all phenomena and the non-existence of a true self. These two points should probably be studied with a teacher as they are quite profound. You should understand them and ask questions to dispel any doubts you may have. Finally, you have to meditate on them. After that, you meditate on right intention. You should not harm others nor have ill will towards them and your actions should not be driven by the three poisons which are attachment, aversion and unawareness. These all stem from our mind and so it is only us who can be held responsible for them. You must contemplate on your every action. In this way you will not be intentionally disturbing yourself or others. Next, meditate on right speech. Many a time we open our mouths before using our brains and what comes out is harmful and unhelpful to others. We lie, commit slander, use harsh words and gossip with such ease, it's frightening. It is as though our mouth has a life of its own. How do we address this problem? It's simple. Meditate on your speech. Lying is never going to help anyone. You may say, we lied so as not to upset someone. But when they find out we have lied, they get more upset. When we slander someone, we are not making friends, but enemies. Swearing in someone else's face is going to hurt them. And gossiping is just a waste of time. So you have to meditate on how you speak and only then will you learn to talk in a way that is both helpful and kind. Now comes right action. As Gautama Buddha advised his son Rahula, If there is a deed you wish to do, reflect this way. Is this deed conducive to my harm or to the harm of others or to both? This is a bad deed entailing suffering. Such a deed must be resisted. If there is a deed you wish to do, reflect this way. Is this deed not conducive to my harm, to the harm of others, or to both? Then this is a good deed entailing happiness. Such a deed must be done again and again. So we must ensure we are fully in tune with our actions so that we are aware 
of when we are being led astray by the three poisons. This brings us to right livelihood. Again, ensure that your work does not harm anybody and bring suffering to them. Think about your chosen profession, and if you see that you are harming a living being, try to change jobs, or at the very least, minimize the damage you cause. Here, we have to not only meditate on our livelihood, but we also have to be honest about the effect we are having on the world. In all of the above, ensure you put in the right effort and right mindfulness because it is impossible to sit quietly and mentally still on the meditation cushion if you are not at ease. If your minds are agitated by hatred, consumed with jealousy, being held by desire and greed, if we are killing, stealing and lying, how can we sit and meditate peacefully and productively? This is why you need to study the Eightfold Path understand it, meditate on it, and finally you will be able to live responsibly. Let us try to put right meditation in a nutshell. When our minds are unguarded and we are not concentrating, our actions, speech and thoughts are also unguarded. On the other hand, when our mind is concentrating and guarded, Our actions, speech and thoughts are also guarded. This is what Shantideva says in a guide to the Buddhasattva way of life. O you who wish to guard your minds, I beseech you with folded hands. Always exert yourselves to guard mindfulness and alertness. You can find more information about this subject in Karma Yeshi Rabge's books the best way to catch a snake, and life's meandering path. They're available now from Amazon and Kindle. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed Buddhism Guide's audio blog. Until next time, remember, the only person you can ever truly know is yourself.